Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name's Dulta Daherty, and in this podcast series, I will be speaking to investors, advisors, entrepreneurs, and recruiters who are based all over the world, and we'll be discussing how to set up, scale, and operate a world-class recruitment company. Today's guest is Neil Owen. He worked for Robert Half for 20 years, and now he's a managing partner at Fraser John Recruitment. Really interesting guy, and a great guest, I'm sure you can all learn a lot off them. And this podcast has been brought to you by the good people at Interview. I'm getting great success out of using their Hintro messaging system right now on LinkedIn, which is helping me identify who's watching the video and uh, who I know is probably right for a next message so I can get them into a call so I can persuade them that your life is better off working in L.A., New York, Sydney, or Melbourne. Anyway, that's enough of my blatant promotion. And over to Neil. I hope you all enjoy this one. You can learn a lot. Robert Half are a world-class recruitment company. They're a hard place to survive, and he did 20 years in it. So I wanted to really get into those details and figure out what the secret sauce is in Robert Half. And like, why, do they, why and how do they breed such killer recruiters? All right. Hope you enjoy. Let me know if you do, if you want to come on the podcast. Dalton, are we there? Neil, how are you? Very well, thank you. And you? Oh, yeah. All the best. What, uh, what's going on with this weather in the UK right now, hey? I'm assuming you are in the UK to uh, to be experiencing it. It's horrendous, isn't it? I'm in the south of England. <laughs> yeah, sun and rain, sun and rain. Great for the garden, yeah. though, right? So, uh, so, Neil, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really excited to understand what a lifetime in Robert Half teaches somebody. <laughs> yeah, probably need a lifetime to explain to you. <laughs> and, uh, you were in Robert Half. For how long exactly? Um, 20 years, I think, or there or thereabouts. Um, you know, man, man and boy. Um, started pretty much as a, as a tea boy in the Croydon office and uh, took, took on all number of different uh, roles and responsibilities. Um, yeah, a, a, a great 20 years. And before that, were you a professional athlete? Yeah, so my story was I um I used to do uh I used to do hurdles. I but my my uh my strategy with that one was try and find a sport that not many people do, um and you got you got more chance of being successful at it. So um I got into hurdling at a young age, um and really enjoyed it. To be fair, I had a great uh, couple of years, um competing at a decent level, um but then um, old age hit me as a young man. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my body wasn't up to it. So um, about the age of 22, 23, I sort of had a bit of an injury which stopped me training. Um, and uh, the first, uh, my mum said, uh, Neil, um, you can't doss at home unless you like, you need to go and get a job. <laughs> um, opened up the local, the local paper and the first job I saw was at Robert Half. Okay, so um, so uh, ended up in recruitment when I got injured from... Uh, from so uh, people can't see, obviously, because we're on the... We're on the old uh, the old audio here, 
but yeah, probably you're six foot seven, maybe. No, 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 no. Six, six foot four and a half. Well, it, felt, it felt like um, six foot seven next to me, anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, which is, which is, you know, that, that height's pr- pretty helpful when uh, when you're starting out in hurdles. Um, and to be fair, the hurdles are quite high, but um, it does seem that that um, you know, all the best sprint hurdlers are a little bit shorter than that. I think uh, something to do with short leaving. And I see you've done a similar degree to myself. Real top end stuff there. <laughs> what business administration? Yeah. Hey, come on! Don't be knocking it. It was, um, yeah, business administration. So, yeah, a little, a little, a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, think. I remember um, it. I'm not sure what I took with me on it, but uh, you went straight into the <laughs> athletic career from there. So, Robert Half came calling. What year was that? So, well, I think um, what year was it? I got yeah, nine ninety seven. Um, so, uh, I had a good year in track in ninety five. Went to the world champs and then. Got injured, just yeah, just missed out on the Olympics in ninety six. Oh, was that Atlanta? Um, and then uh, that was Atlanta, yeah, yeah, just missed out by a hundredth of a second. But sorry, I, I don't, I don't talk <laughs> about it much. Um, you know, I, I don't talk about it too much. But uh, yeah, they got injured in ninety seven, and so started working at Robert Half. Um, it was a part time role, to be fair. I um, it was a part time resourcing role, uh, based in the Croydon mm. office, and. I probably didn't really expect to be there for much more than three months. It was just a chance to get a bit of cash in. And, and while I was sort of doing, uh, you know, overcoming the injuries and doing my rehab, um, you know, four hours in an office, um, banging the phones, looking for uh, accounting candidates. And then three years later, um, I hadn't really recovered from the injuries and I, and I was still there. So, yeah, what, what was meant to be a bit of a three-month Role turned into uh, well, it turned into twenty years in the end, didn't it? And it's fair to say you, you had a kind of slow and steady progression at the start of your career, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I was doing that resourcing role in the Croydon office for uh, for a fair few years while sort of trying to overcome the injuries and then doing my. So, were you thinking you were going to make a comeback? Oh yeah, yeah. I planned. Um, well, I, can't, I I I got over the injuries in uh, what year was it? Ninety eight, ninety nine. So I had a couple of years back running. But I just, you know, I, 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 I'd look, you know, I, I think a footballer said he'd, he'd lost a few, pace, you know, a few, a few yards yeah. of pace. Um, I just never really got back to, to the sort of same speed as a 21-year-old lad. So I think I sort of gave up the running when I was about 28, after the Commonwealth Games trials in 2002. And that's when, um, that's when I sort of really hit the recruitment piece hard and sort of committed to, uh, to a career in Robert Yeah, Hart. and were you able to be a part-time athlete properly in, in those years? Just, you know, how boozy recruitment can be, and especially in those <laughs> days. It must have, you must have, like, I, I, I've seen that happen before to athletes that have come in. Yeah, so I guess I was lucky, right? So, I, was, I mean, I was, I was based mainly in the Croydon office. I did move to our city office in, in the latter part of that role. Um, because I was working four hours a day, I'd, I'd get, usually get in first thing in the morning and I'd, I'd finish work at one or two in the mm-hmm. afternoon um, and then go and do my training in the afternoon. So that kind of kept me away from the debaucherous uh, lifestyle of, uh, of a recruiter. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to think I'd, I sort of did my best in making up for that once, once I gave up yeah. the track. So, uh, so, so you were 28 when you really kind of got serious with recruitment. And um, Was there a point when you were thinking... Yeah. Okay, maybe I might do something else, or were you like at that stage you kind of seen what you'd have to be to be successful at it? Yeah, I don't think anyone else would have mm-hmm. me. Um, I look as a, as a graduate, I sort of considered accounting. I think I considered investment banking, but 
you know, after five or six, well, to be fair, I've done five or six years of, of the resourcing piece. And um, it's no, the longest resourcing piece I didn't really in the history consider, of resourcing. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really consider anything else because, to be fair, Robert Half had, had sort of stuck by me um, and supported me as a part time employee for for all those years. So it, it wouldn't have really felt right to have not have sort of repaid that that faith and loyalty they showed in myself. So I didn't really consider anything else. And, and, and at the same time, you know, I'd had a I had a bit of a good, you know, what we used to have, you know, youth training schemes back in the day when I was in mm. education. And I'd done you know, three or four years of purely resourcing candidates. So, so I'd kind of got that part of the role licked, as yeah. they say. And then um, the last couple of years, while part-time, the, the mar- you know, that was sort of just post-2000, 2001, and the recruitment markets or the employment markets weren't fantastic. So rather than just sourcing candidates, I'd actually sort of moved into more of a pure marketing role. So I was just canvassing for job mm. orders. Um, so, you know, three years of purely resourcing, two years of purely canvassing, I kind of felt I got both parts of, of that role down down to a pat. And so, you know, putting that into a 360 degree role, you, you know, seemed like a, a bit of a no brainer, really. So I didn't really consider anything else outside of Robert Half at the time. And, you know, just went into a desk late 2002 and sort of really hit the floor. And they have a rotational system, don't they, in terms of the way that they operate 360 there? Is that right? Yeah, at the time we, we, we were in yeah what was called rotation. And so, you know, I was always the sort of third piece that was just marketing in a rotation. So, you know, the whole rotation system is quite flexible. You know, it, it doesn't have to be sort of set in stone. So, you know, if you've got someone that's great at resourcing that just wants to resource, then, then that rotation system could allow for that. Um, so, yeah, we did, but it was still quite a flexible rotation mm, system. Interesting. Um, when, so when did you feel you were good at it? Like when you when you got into that divisional manager role after, uh, after you've had a few years? Yeah. So I, so I, so I started running a full desk in 2002. And as I said, I'd had, a, you know, I, I still had, I, I temped out. It was a banking operations desk. Um, it was sort of mid-level temporaries, um, a very, very fast paced desk. So you can turn your, 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 your fortunes around pretty quickly. Um, so I had a really good 2000 and back into 2002, 2003, uh, in 2004 so I think I picked up the management responsibilities you know probably midpoint 2013 I think I'm oh, sorry 2003 I think so you know I was running the desk and managing a small team um, and yeah build really well 2000 and um, yeah three 2004 were yeah I, was, I sort of really hit yeah. the stride and, and quickly after that you moved into a regional manager what, what, what was that like then so yeah, I went sort of through the ranks. I um I took on sort of managing the, the temporary team within operations, and then uh, augmented that with a with a finance and accounting financial services team. I was managing a doctrines temp team for a little bit, and and you know just took on more responsibility. So I was offered the branch manager role um, in the city, which was a team of about I think probably about thirty thirty five people at the time, and um, I, I I managed to sort of navigate myself for promotion by by simply breaking that one branch down into four branches mm. um and and split the, the team up so you know all four teams had a slightly different sort of segmentation and functional focus uh, and then brought an infrastructure in underneath me uh, of four sort of effectively branch managers we put in four pnls and i think deliver you know, um sort of putting that autonomy or, or sort of giving those branch managers the autonomy to, to really run their businesses the way they saw fit, um, paid dividends. So, so that business, that sort of city location effectively became four branches 
and grew fantastically well, you know, six or seven and into 2008. So, um, you know, by default, uh, my, my boss uh, said, well done and, and made me a regional manager, which was very good. How nice. many people were you managing in the recession? In the recession, I don't know. We, we took that city office to about 50, I think 50, 55 people by 2008. And then, um, you, you know, financial services always gets hit yeah. first, right? So I think by that time, I'd picked up the responsibility of the wider London business as well. So we had a, we had a, a um, you know, a, a big West End office focused on the core finance and accounting business. Um, we had a Hammersmith office, a Watford office, a Guildford office, which all for, sort of form part of the greater London business. So yeah, the financial services guys started to feel it um, early to mid-08. The, the commerce and industry finance and accounting teams less so, and they continued to grow. So I think, um, yeah, I think the team was some, somewhere around the 120 head mark in sort of 2008. And then obviously that did reduce somewhat as we went into 2009. Tell me, what makes Robert Half a great business? Good question. Because um, it, it is a great I mean, business. The, the, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the the, the DNA. I mean, look, everyone in that business, the, the the operating model is is supremely drilled, you know. And, and I think the leadership team are, are, are completely bought into to the operating tactics of the business. And so the DNA around performance, the DNA around driving margins, the discipline. Yeah, the discipline in that business is 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 very very strong. Um, so you know, I'm sure that I'm sure there are a lot of things, but but operationally, you know, within the branch, the discipline around operational tactics is is pretty tight. Yeah, and it's funny you haven't in the UK. The the you don't really see too many leaders leaving Robert Half to go out on their own the same way that happened with S3. I find um, perhaps it's different in America. Have you have you seen lots of? Uh, Lots of your peers that have gone out on their own over the years since, because uh, obviously twenty years is a long time in the game. Yeah, so so you know I see a lot of things you know on LinkedIn and and, and people often talk about you know, all the the breakouts from the S three group. Um, and I think if I sat down you, you know over a beer and a piece of paper and and sort of started thinking about all the the offshoot businesses that have come from Robert Half, there there probably are a decent mm. amount. I think I think the typical person within Robert Half that would break out to do their own thing is, is probably not so much part of you know, the, the senior UK director team because mm. I think yeah you know, when you make the you know, yeah when you when you're in your in that UK senior director team it's it, it's a good place you know you've got a good peer group and um, you know while you're not necessarily um, you know part of a board of directors of a, of a UK listed business you know, you certainly have a, a decent amount of, uh, of autonomy to sort of drive the, the, the UK businesses you see fit. So, you know, I, I think you see less people on that, that sort of senior director team breakout, but you'll see a lot of people at the division manager level or, you, you know, strong billers that, that maybe didn't have the opportunity, maybe not necessarily the discipline or, or maybe want to work in that discipline mm. way. That, that didn't see their career as part of that 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 senior leadership team, and, and they'd often break out and and do do pretty well. To be fair, you know, there's some there's some good sort of little tidy businesses that have come out of Robert Hart. Yeah, I know um, the guys that uh, left the Perth business and uh, yeah. and set up PSG. I know them really well, actually, from my time out there. They've they've great wee business. They kind of just put a few soft edges on a Robert Half model, and and they're pretty charming 
people in their own way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah charisma goes a long way, right? I, I think that, I think you, you said it there, the, the soft edges. You know, Robert Half is, is a mm. tough business. It's, it's well drilled. You know, you got to be strong to survive there. And so I think, you know, I think it will be a, quite a cliche or quite a catch. You know, I think anyone that, that, that leads Robert Half to set up their own business would, would sort of talk about taking all the good things, all the best practices, all the things they love from that business, but then also do it with just maybe a little bit more balance and a, and a slightly softer touch. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we met recently uh, at a at the marketing event uh, hosted by members only. What what, what yeah, were your we takeaways from that day? Um, I was only there for half the day, to be fair. Um, and uh, and you've got me on the yeah, you've got me on the hop on that. Just one, curious. Actually. I. I um, no, I tell you, yeah, a couple of things. I, I hadn't really ever thought about or considered using Instagram for for messaging and recruitment. You know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's um, clearly the sort of tool of choice, uh, and, and one has to assume that, like like uh, Friends Reunited hit hit a peak and sort of sort of dropped away in the UK, and Facebook comes in, hits a peak, and maybe. Um, you know, the, the younger generation coming through may now sort of be picking up on more instant messaging tools. So. Yeah, I hadn't really considered Instagram as, as, a, as a messaging tool within recruitment. Um, you know, I, I, you, you did a piece around the, uh, the Gary V model on um, sort of podcasts and content. And, um, yeah, I think that, that, that sort of makes sense. And that's probably an easy executionable strategy to, to sort of pick up on. So, from, um, from a business, yeah, maybe. But I, I, wouldn't want, I wouldn't want too many billers getting mixed up in it. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that we broke. Yeah, you know, we, we had a little breakout, and um, and that was the, the the conversation was around whose responsibility is is driving marketing content, and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's no one size fits all, right? There's more than one way to skin a cat. So I think within any business, you know, as long as there's uh, you know clarity around expectations and and then sort of executing upon that, but. Um, yeah, I guess different businesses will execute that in different Talk ways. Talk to me about your decision-making process to leave Robert Half after 20 years. Um, so, what was that day like? Yeah, I think most Yeah, that most people probably had me down as a lifer. Um, You're a lifer, hey? That, and, that, like, nobody does that amount of time. <laughs> and I, I think I got to about 15 years. Um, yeah, I've done 15 years at Robert Half, and, and I looked at... My, my youngest daughter, um, I worked out, she'd be finishing university in 15 years' time. And I thought, look, if I'm thinking about when am I retiring, um, I thought, I've done 15 years at Robert Half now. I've got another 15 years of my career to go. And that's when I sort of thought, you know, do I really want to work at one company for all my career? Um, I certainly didn't execute upon that thought at that moment in time. But looking back on things, that was probably the moment when I thought, okay, at some point, I'm probably going to leave Robert Half. Um, so that would have been around 2014-ish, I think. Um, Who starts tapping you um, up on that? Like, that's a is, is that somebody in your peer group that's that that's slowly working you over over a period? No, of- not at all. Not 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 at all. That was a personally pure that was purely personal. I certainly didn't really communicate that with anyone. And at the time, I'd just taken. I was sort of about a year in, I think, in um, in, in building the, the technology business within Robert Half, yeah. and I I was enjoying learning something new. I mean, IT certainly wasn't my forte. I mean, I used to joke that I couldn't spell IT, let alone understand how to recruit in it. Um, so I was learning about a new market, um, and we were hiring a lot of people. And I 
I had a really sort of good vision on how that business could look. And when you articulate that to, to people joining you, you joining the team, you can't walk out on that. You know, you're, 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 you're telling people, look, I'm, I'm on a journey. This is where I'm taking this business. You can be a part of that. I want you to come with me. So you're not going to, you're not going to walk out on that, on that project, so to speak, you know, because you've got a vested interest in those people you've hired. So while I was sort of thinking at some point I need to do something different, it, it certainly wasn't an immediate thing. So, I carried on in the role and we were, you know, we took the business, I, I sort of joined when it was quite a small business, five or six sort of heads. And we took that through to close to 40 people um, in that sort of three year period. And as we got to the end of, uh, what was it? It was 2017. As we got to the midpoint in 2017, I was starting to have conversations internally about, you know, what does, what does that business need to look like going forward? How do we staff it up? How do we look at, you know, you know there were, in any business, you've got strength, you know, strong points, you've got weaknesses, and, and how do we address those weaknesses? And one of the options in that was was um, to sort of look at uh, you know, bringing in leadership from across the UK. We, we, had a, we had a technology business only located in, in sort of two locations, and if, if we were going to put that into other locations, you know, how do we look to leverage the existing Robert Half leadership? So, you know, as we went through those conversations, there was there was sort of an opportunity for me to then look at other roles within Robert Half um, as we sort of got to the end of that first phase of the RHT project in the UK and um, which, you, you know, I've done 20 years. So, you know, we had some conversations about other roles and what could, what would be right and what would look good and what did I want to do? And ultimately, you know, I don't, yeah, the, 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 the right role probably wasn't there for me and, and it sort of just seemed to be the right time to, to sort of shake hands and, and sort of depart the business. So it was sort of late 2018, no, sorry, late 2017, early 2018, that, that I thought, let's go and um, do something different. And it, you went and you joined Fraser John Recruitment. And what, 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 what capacity did you go into that as? Is, is it as the ultimate leader or are you, a, are you one, of, one of the people at the table? Yeah, so so Fraser John was set up by um, an old peer of mine. So when I used to run the London business at Robert Half, John Dyson ran the, the North business. He and I had remained, yeah, he, he'd left the business in 2011, 2012 and set up Fraser John in Manchester. He and I were great peers together. We enjoyed working together. Um, we kept in touch. We'd, we'd meet for beer once or twice a year. I'd always get a little bit jealous of, um, you know, he always looked quite relaxed and uh, <laughs> wasn't wearing the suit and tie anymore. He'd grown some facial hair. I was having a midlife crisis, so I fancied yeah. growing a beard as well. And if you meet, if you meet um, you now, Neil, you're wearing jeans, you're wearing a shirt, and you've yeah. got a beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, had a, I had a proper midlife crisis. So I'd get a bit jealous at how relaxed he looked. But we, yeah, we'd, we'd grow a beer. And yeah, so so we sort of, we were we were catching up over a beer in London late 2018. And, and I said, look, I'm thinking maybe it's time for me to move on. Um, and, uh, you know, after four or five pints in the back of, back of a you know, fag packet we had a we had a very loose business plan to, to do something together in london so you know ultimately it's john's business and i sort of joined um you know, as a shareholder slash partner uh and my my immediate responsibilities are building out a london um business for fraser john um if that answers the question. it does but it leads on to the next um as as all good answers do and um, and what things are you going to take from Robert Half, and what will you leave behind? Yeah, the other good question. So, so um, I'd say our first, yeah, we, we're just over the first 
years trading. And we, I say we, you know, me, me and my trusted business partners, um, we've, we've probably, I think, bar, you know, most of the team have worked for Robert Half at some point and or if not Robert Half have worked in another branded, uh, you know, large UK recruiter. And I think that does give you, you know, I referred to DNA earlier. I think, I think it drills. An intensity. You know, yeah, that well-drilled, yeah, intense operational tactical model, right? So for the last year, we absolutely um, have not sort of been into that sort of well-drilled, robust operational tactical model. Um, and, and it probably has felt a little bit like a lifestyle business. Um, but they're absolutely not the, the motivations as to why we're here or the ambitions of the business. You know, we do want to build something um, that, that will make a genuine impact into the market. And um, so the things we'll take, you know, you know, we, we don't need those operational tactics sort of well drilled today because, because it's in our DNA. You know, I think anyone that comes out of, of those, you know, that, that environment working at 95%, you know, is, is still working comparatively to, to other people at, at, at a clip, you know, at a good pace. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're all pretty well disciplined, um, experienced recruiters that know what to do and how to do it. So there's not, you know, it hasn't, hasn't needed to sort of drive that, you know, those operational pushes every day. But as we grow the business, I think the things that we'll take, or I'll take from Robert Half is, you know, is, is that discipline, is that ability to, to look at the you know, marginal gains, you know, the incremental marginal gains, to, to coin another phrase, um, to look at how to segment a market, whether it be industry, functional focus, geography, to really mine and sort of penetrate deep into those markets. Um, you know, so I think some of the leadership training that, that, you, that you get on, you know, how, how to run a business, how to, how, to, how to run performance management programs, you know, not, not just a, you know, an exit review, but you know, a whole formal program from how to identify talent, how to attract talent, how to onboard talent, how to develop talent. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, there's shed loads of great stuff that you'll take from, from 20 years of rubber half that you'll just naturally implement into, into the DNA of the business. Because to be fair, that's what you know, right? That's, that's the way you know how to do it. Um, you know, you're always looking at new ideas. You're always talking to people. You're always looking for, for things to add to your game. But ultimately, you've, you know, after 20 years of being drilled in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way of business that has, has, has sort of grown to the levels that Robert Half has grown, you're going to take a lot of those moves and implement them. How do you, how do you bring that intensity, though? As, and, I, and, I, and I'm just genuinely interested in that in terms of... In, I think I've interviewed so many people now, and a lot of them say if you've got a room full of people, it's a lot easier to create intensity just because a lot of it will happen naturally. But if there's five or six or 10, even it can be, you can be really trying to start that engine. And it's quite, it's quite a challenge is how many heads do you have right now in London? Well, we'll be, we'll be a team of 13 in, uh, in two weeks time. And, you know, last summer when we were a team of four, um, we, we, yeah, we, we have periods where it was quiet in the office. And, you know, I think the guys that I'm working with all had a, a very strong belief in their own ability and a strong belief that, that we were going to build something that would be great fun to work in. So, so it wasn't really an issue. I think we, we did take on um, a lesser experienced recruiter and he gave us, you know, top, top, top load and gave us some great feedback. You know, it didn't, didn't work out for him, 
um, and he's sort of, you know moved out of recruitment, but gave us some great feedback in that you know he needed more intensity. Um, I think now now a team yeah you know, we'll be a team of thirteen in a couple of weeks as I said and and now there's yeah you know, there's always a buzz. I mean now it's keeping a lid on now it's keeping a lid on the noise, wow that's um, great because we're in a we're in a relatively small WeWork office. Um, we're, we're bursting at the seams. You know, we, we'll be going into a new location on the first of September, um, and we get complaints from we get complaints from the neighbours, right? That we're too noisy. Brilliant. So, you know, I think my job is is to is to, to sort of balance that intensity. You know, too intense, you're going to burn people up. Not enough intensity, you might sort of not not be worth. I've never so, I've never heard a recruitment leader say there's too much intensity. <laughs> oh no, there is. I mean, look, you see people get burned in recruitment all the time. Right? But isn't that so, what the big agency? Isn't that what? Like Robert Half works off those metrics. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Look, I, 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 I may read myself wrong. But I'd like to think. Well, you know uh, that you know the stats. Know, people, I don't. So. Yeah, no. I think people I've worked with over the years. I'd, I'd like to think. Uh, look, I've certainly had feedback that I've been too intense over the years. Um, but I'd like to think you learn from that. And I think bring you've got to bring a level of balance, right? Recruitment's a tough job. If you're getting your head kicked in by clients and candidates. <laughs> Um, you know, they're ghosting you and deals falling out. It's going AWOL. It, it's emotional, yeah. right? And it's, it's people's livelihoods. It's, it's really important stuff. So I think you've got to be able to inject some fun. You've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to sort of take the pressure off people. Um, people, you know, good recruiters put more pressure on themselves than their boss does. Or at least they, they, they you know, good recruiters do, right? They should do. So your job as a boss or a leader or as a business partner, you've got, you've got to take that pressure off a little bit because sometimes, because it can, it can burn you up and, you know, it's like being, I guess it's like being a striker in front of goal. You know, if you've missed a few shots, you know, you tense up a little bit and you're going to you're going to miss that shot again. So, you know, I think keeping it fun, managing the pressure, you know, letting the, you know, the, the, the steam out every now and then is probably a good thing. I guess that's 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 generally a Thursday and Friday night in recruitment, I guess. But, um, yeah, managing that melting pot's a big thing, I think. How, how's your job different managing 13 people than it was being in charge of a whole country? Of, of recruiters um do you know what it's you know it's, it's interesting because it's kind of needs must right you people I, I there was some linkedin banter the other day um somebody put out there you know should should recruitment leaders still personally produce um i mean one big thing you know i i when i moved into to this you know new venture um i'm, I'm back on the tools right you, you've got to leave from the front you've got to make some placements and, and i hadn't actually executed and, and closed deals for some time um you know my net my, my network of clients and candidates was long gone um so so a big thing is is you know the big difference is you you know you are you are winning and closing business again um obviously the team's got to 13 and um that requires you know yes i still want to lead from the front and i still want I, not just want but the business requires and 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 it's a necessity that, that we're all producing and, and bringing um, business to the table. But then you've just got to be you know, quite, quite sharp with your time because you're still looking to hire and coach and bring people in. I guess it's been quite lucky that, or not lucky, it's, you know, by design, the majority of the team are experienced recruiters. So it's not mm. like we're going through rookie school, albeit one or two coming in are less experienced. And I think we've created a great environment for people that actually haven't got a lot of recruitment experience. You know, you sort of think that, the branded recruiters will have a great training program, which they do. Um, but as an environment, you know, we've got some super highly experienced recruiters, uh, you know, in a small office on the phone to clients and candidates, winning business, closing deals. So 
as an environment, you're going to come in and, and sort of really hear how experienced people do business, which you can lose in a big sales floor because, you know, take a big sales floor of 100, 150 people. Yes, there's going to be, you know, maybe 10, 300K perm billers, um, but they might be sort of spread out across that whole sales floor. And, you know, you might have 30 or 40% of that sales floor, you know, relatively inexperienced, you know, graduates or rookies coming in. So you can sometimes get that sort of blind leading the blind challenge where, inexperienced people are sitting next to inexperienced people where you know we don't you know we, we fortunately don't sort of have to deal with that challenge so yeah managing my time's been a not not as tough and it doesn't really feel very much different you know you, you know you live you set your targets you set your performance expectations you, you set what you personally think you can achieve and you just do whatever you need to do to to, to sort of hit hit that performance so that doesn't really change in, in any environment um I'm just having a look at some of your people here um, on LinkedIn and, and they are quite experienced. What, what, what is it that you're able, like how have you been able to persuade these people to join? Like what's, what's the pitch against somebody who's at Robert Hatch? <laughs> I've coerced them with shed loads of cash. Uh, no, look, they're, 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 the majority of people that we've got in the business have all been either my network or, or that team's network. So, um, you know, a lot of it's been relationship led in that we've, we've worked together before and we've really enjoyed working together before. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all in early on the inception of a, of a new business and, you know, as part of Fraser John and, um, you know, at the moment we are fully motivated and focused on building our London business, but that, that, you know, this business will go international as well. So there's going to be opportunities, um, for people that, 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 that want to you know, put their hand up and be part of that. Uh, there's going to be those opportunities. Um, and yeah, we we yeah we have we have a big, hairy, audacious goal of 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 building a really impactful, sizable business over the next twenty five years and 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 beyond. And when you when you talk like twenty five years is a long time to to look ahead. What 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 does the next five years look for you? Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, I I've certainly um, you know, I, I guess our big, hairy, audacious goal would be to have twenty five locations um, over the next twenty five years, delivering twenty five million in each and. And, you know, if we only achieve half of that, then we've done fantastically well. Breaking that down, um, you know, when I pulled up, um, pulled up my pew just over a year ago here in, in London, we've broken down a four and a half year sort of plan to, to build a 10 million revenue business in London. Um, and, and those numbers, you know, yes, they were plucked out of the air a little bit. It's sort of, um, I think somebody told me that, um, you know, to, to, set, to sell a business, you need to make at least a million pounds profit. And when I mapped out, what that what that looks like and then, you know there's no plans to sell the business um but just someone told me that that's that's what you've got to do to sell it so i thought well that'll be our first goal what, what does that look like so you know about 35 fee earners about four million net fee income we'd probably run somewhere in the region of about 100 contractors doing about 200k on perm um you know that that'll be a four-year plan um for the london location and and then then i guess the four to five years after that would be for myself personally, I, I guess being a bit more more focused on some of the international expansion plans. Um, you know, I've worked overseas as well. So, mm. Where, where's next okay. overseas? What are you thinking? Um, well, clearly continental Europe. Um, I mean, look, you know, continental Europe. You know, the, the amount of I mean, look, London is a very very competitive recruitment market, uh, and I think Europe is catching up. But you know, if you can turn the placement in London, I think you'd feel pretty confident you're going to going to have have as much success um throughout europe north america is absolutely on the plan um 
you know, I spent a couple of years out working with, with, with people in North America and you can sort of see the opportunities out there. And, um, you know, we've certainly sort of put a list together of, of locations that we think would be good to work at. And we, we look at sort of you know, the economic situation, the industries that are there, the competitive situation, our network, um, our network's network and where we think we can attract people. So, um, and then, and then of course, APAC as well, right? So, um, you know, I know there are a host of UK recruiters out in Australia and, and, uh, and maybe that, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe the great time to get into that market is gone. But at the same time, you know, competitive markets are there, and, and and if it's competitive and you can take market share, then you're going to be successful. So yeah, Opus did a great so, job of that. Yeah, so um, Mr. Scale in Sydney, you find you find UK a lot of UK recruiters have to adjust to the Australian market. It's a bit slower. It's a bit more old relationships. <laughs> kind of have to be well, you, know you have to be nicer I, to people. I, I, you have to let them not be very nice to you. <laughs> my, uh, my, my philosophy has always been, I think the bigger the city, you know, the more chance. I, I think in big cities, candidate, you know, the, the, having a great candidate often wins mm. because pe- I think in big cities, they're more competitive and clients are more likely to sort of break PSLs um, and, and, and often deliver less. Um, That's a good point, yeah. You know, you get less. Uh, you know, exclusive. You get less exclusivity in the big cities. I think when you, when you go out of big cities and into towns, you know that's where relationships really count. And, and sometimes it's harder to win business. Yeah, but fees are lower. When you, yeah, but when you won that business, you're mm. going to get it more you know, exclusively. So, you know, there's ups and downs to any market, right? All right. Well, well, Neil, I think I've just peppered you with enough questions. Um, uh, any anything for anything for me or anything you want to talk about? Uh, no, I mean, not, not that necessarily I'd want to sort of share on the podcast with other people, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, certainly we'll be looking at, uh, you know, some international locations, uh, over the next sort of coming couple of years. So, uh, you know, I'd certainly see there'd be an opportunity to, uh, to sort of tap your brains on, on some of those locations yeah, and some of the talent out there, but, uh, but yeah, not, nothing that I'd, uh, I'd, I'd be too willing to sort of put out there in front of everybody. <laughs> Great stuff, Neil. Well, look, thanks very much. Really fascinating. And uh, it sounds like you've got an awesome business on your hands. So exciting times. Top man. Appreciate, uh, appreciate your time today. It's been good talking. Good man. Cheers, daughter. All the best. A massive thank you to Neil for coming on the podcast. I'm really trying to get my knowledge of the London market rock solid. Every every month now, I'm trying to get into London and do some podcasts in person. It's Now that we're living in the UK, it's a marketplace I want to be all over. So if you want to come on the podcast and you're running a recruitment company and you can tell a story, please reach out to me because I'd love to get more London-based guests on the podcast. All right, thanks. And we'll be back very soon with another podcast because I haven't published one in a while and I have a backlog of podcasts to get out.